0: We started, if you remember, way back with the glory of God. The glory of God brings revival, the presence of God. And we're ending today with the glory of God, filling His church, filling the earth, transforming people. And we're going to look at a move of God that was all about the glory of God, hitting a particular generation, the least likely generation. 1965 to 75, we're going to look at the Jesus People Movement, and hundreds of thousands became Christians in this window of time and flooded the churches. The Southern Baptist Church, for example, just one example, experienced more growth in that window than they have in the last 70 years. Hundreds of thousands of young people. I want to link this to something that I shared last year. Um, I had a vision in 1994. I was with my mentor Steve Nicholson in St. Louis, and the Lord interrupted our night. We were about to go to sleep. We were at a John Wimber church planting conference, and the Lord gave me a vision with Steve there. And part of that vision was what we're looking at today. I saw various examples in history of the Lord moving powerfully, and in the vision, the Lord told me that there would be something greater than the Jesus people movement. Mind you, this is 1994, so almost 26 years ago. If you're interested, you can find that podcast, but really, the vision was about, and what we're going to look at today is essentially Matthew 24, 14, the gospel going to all nations. That's what we're about. We're really not even about visions or Whatever, you can fill in the blank. We are interested in God's glory filling the earth through the gospel. Amen? And Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so I want us to be mindful of that today. We had a moment that we're going to look at where the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord hit the West Coast of the United States and it changed a generation. So I want us to explore that today and what we're gonna do briefly, we're gonna look at the historical context again so we have some idea of who these wild people were, the hippies, the Jesus people. We're gonna look at a few key events and moments and then we'll look briefly at the end at some of the ripple effects, the ramifications because my friends, we're sitting here today doing what we're doing because of what God did. In the 60s and 70s, especially as we move toward becoming a vineyard. There is no vineyard without the Jesus People movement, without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened in the 60s and 70s. I wanna to say too that you know, you always struggle with compressing all that we can in a little bit of time. So today really is an introduction. If you're interested in learning more, I could not recommend this book more. It's called God's Forever Family. By Larry Eskridge, and it's Oxford publication, God's Forever Family, and it uh, tells this story, and I couldn't put it down this week. And really, the first ninety pages are—you can't put it down. It may keep you up late, but it recounts the Jesus People movement and this unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So let's get let's get started here. Let's look at the historical context. I've got some slides here for. Context. The Lord decided to move in this period, and it's pretty uncanny. There was campus unrest all over the United States. We were in the middle of a sexual revolution sex, drugs, rock and roll. Woodstock happened. 400,000 people showed up for the Woodstock event at the little dairy farm. There were race riots. I've got an image up of a race riot in Detroit in 1967, Vietnam War had been going on from 55 to 75, and there were protests all over San Francisco, all over DC, all over the country. And you can understand why for many of these young people it was an apocalyptic setting. It felt eschatological, it felt like the end of time had come. There was a lot that was happening, and this was the moment that the Lord chose to pour out His Spirit, to display His glory, and to advance His kingdom. And He rescued and transformed hundreds of thousands of these crazy hippies. We've got some hippies among us, and you can keep that in mind as I ask a question in a few moments So that's some of the historical context here, some of the key events and people. This story starts in the San Francisco Bay Area. There was a Bohemian culture of Europe, especially France, that came in and infiltrated San Francisco and the whole Bay Area. And it was called the Bohemian Beatnik Movement. People would call themselves Beats. And they were anti-establishment. They were unconventional and they were centered in Greenwich Village in New York City. I'm really, uh, I'm sure, striking some chords with some of you who probably went to Greenwich Village when these things were going on. I know we have some former beats and hippies among us. What began to happen in the Bay Area of San Francisco especially, there was an unlikely alliance that formed. There was a Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Mill Valley in Marin County in San Francisco and there was a pastor there named John McDonald a Baptist pastor mind you and suddenly all of these young people started being spiritually awakened and showed up at his church he's like this is not business as usual what is happening and there were four couples in particular think about this four couples eight people and their seven children that's it and the Lord began to move in their lives. And part of what they recount is in this book here, but they had it all. They had the money they needed. They had all the drugs they needed. They were into poetry and art. They were very influential, and Jesus began to move in their lives. And one of the stories, a guy named Ted Wise, I've got a slide up here. This guy, Ted, had the coolest life one could imagine. He was a sailmaker for expensive boats in the Bay Area. And he had everything he needed and wanted, and yet he was miserable. Ted talks about being so miserable and wanting other women so bad that he plotted to murder his wife. In the midst of all that was happening, he was strung out on LSD, and from the outside, he looked shiny and happy and had the enviable life, but inside he was rotting. Listen to what Ted says about his life in 1965. He started reading the New Testament. He was also taking LSD. He was looking into Eastern religious traditions, and he said that he entered into his inner self and expected to find a prince on the throne but instead discovered a rat in the basement. He became aware of his brokenness and his own sin before God, and he said, I've got to deal with this. The Lord began to awaken his conscience, draw him close to himself. He said, I don't know what's going on, but I can't stop reading the Bible. And so these couples, and Ted was one of the key leaders in these four couples, began to read the New Testament, And Ted says this, he was impacted by the truth claims made by Jesus and Paul's call for all to be converted. Listen to what Ted says, I found it necessary to cry out to God to save my life in every sense of the word. Jesus knocked me off my metaphysical donkey. I could choose him or literally suffer a fate worse than death. So these four couples are gathering together. It's interesting to think just in their relationships, just in their study of the scriptures together, just their involvement in that little Baptist church that a worldwide movement would occur. They actually started, they all sold their houses and they were reading the book of Acts, came across Acts chapter 2 where the church lived together and they said, why don't we do this? So they sold their houses, they bought a communal house and launched the first communal house of the Jesus People movement. As they began to live together, their hearts were awakened for their friends around them. And they ventured over to Haight-Ashbury, summer of 67. You can see there on the left, famous intersection in San Francisco. The district is known as The Hate, H A I G H D has nothing to do with H-A-T-E. And you can see there, the Summer of Love, 1967, 75,000 young people came from all over the country and all over the world and descended on this little district in San Francisco. And so these four couples began to venture over into the Haight-Ashbury area and they began to share the gospel with people. They took, they would load up a car with food and sandwiches and Kool-Aid and they would just bring everything they could because a lot of the young people had arrived there on a one-way ticket and they didn't have money or food. And so the people came bringing things to meet felt needs and as this happened after a few weeks they began to see God moving to such an extent they went back to their pastor at first baptist church and said you've got to come with us you've got to come see what god is doing among the hippies and so pastor john mcdonald loaded up with them to go check it out and pastor mcdonald was overwhelmed he was awakened to the need of moment, and he said he wept. He realized how out of place he was in his suit and with his nice hairdo, but he said, I feel the Lord calling me here. And he said that it was like reaching a tribal group overseas, but right here on American soil. He felt utterly unequipped, but he got together other Baptist leaders and founded what was called the Evangelical Concerns Group. And they began to raise money and go in during that window of time and feed hippies. And they opened a coffee shop right there in Haight-Ashbury called The Mission, The Living Room. How are we doing? Doing all right? I love this history because I believe God wants to do it again. This isn't museum time. This is living history time, is it not? So we do want to know this so that we can glean wisdom from it. But Lord, do it again. Would you move among the young people today? Would you do something like this, Lord? The only you can do. That's why we're looking at this, friends. That's, That's the reason. Lord, do it again. So these four couples, along with a group of Baptists, started the first coffee shop right there, a block away from Haydashberry, And they began to provide sandwiches, and their motto was sandwiches and New Testament. That's what they would tell people. And people would come in and say, would you chill on the Bible? And they would say sandwiches and New Testament. Sandwiches and the Word of God. And if you were desperate enough, you'd come in, eat a sandwich, sit down, and you you heard the New Testament read. And they would take turns reading Good News for Modern Man, which the American Bible Society had recently published. And they talk about just during the summer of love, over 20,000 people heard the gospel just through that one little coffee shop, probably more. That's a, a... an estimate there. They say upwards maybe 30, 35,000, including Charles Manson. Charles Manson came through their coffee shop one time and was causing problems, and they shared the gospel with him and prayed for him, and he scurried out. One of the guys who had an encounter in that coffee shop, his name was David Hoyt. I don't have a picture of him, but I just want to share, this gives an example of the kind of people that Jesus was touching. David Hoyt was strung out on LSD much of the time. He was devoted to Krishna. He had spent time in California prisons for smuggling drugs from Mexico. And in prison, he had uh, an awakening to self-improvement. He realized his life was going nowhere. And so he was real into studying the teachings of yogis and Zen Buddhism, even a little Scientology. And he ended up in that hate ashbury scene. And listen to what happened. He ran into some of these folks at the coffee shop. And he was struck by their passion. He said, I am not sure what you guys have, but I'm interested. So he invited a couple of the guys to come to the Krishna temple to hold a Bible study. And, of course, one of the guys who was a Baptist seminary student said, I'm going to teach on Ephesians at the Krishna temple. And it ignited a fire in the temple. And he brought along a friend of his named Timothy Wu. And this Timothy Wu prophesied to the guy at the Krishna temple. And listen to what he said. He said, within two weeks, you are going to leave this Krishna temple and encounter Jesus. So one night in the temple basement, Hoyt had an open vision of Jesus. Jesus appeared to him. And he saw his nail-print hands, and he called out to him and became a Christian through a prophetic word and through a direct encounter with the person of Jesus. Pretty dramatic story ends up happening. He accidentally kicks over his Krishna altar and a fire starts in the temple in his room. And he ends up running out of the temple. The only thing he could grab was his Bible. And by the time the police department got there, he was on his knees crying out to Jesus. It was a very dramatic scene. (laughs) And as all zealous hippies like him do, listen to what he wrote on the wall in his room as he left. I have found the true and living God and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Lord, help me to follow you faithfully every day. So he had gone back to help clean up the temple and that's what he wrote on the wall. So he joined this ministry, this coffee shop in Haight-Ashbury. There's so many things to talk about here. and the same In the fall of 1967, listen to what happened with him. They were at a street corner doing their ministry. They would go out, they would hand out New Testaments, invite people back for prayer. And one day they ran into someone who looked like teenage Jesus. And he was on the street corner waving his Bible, preaching about Jesus, flying saucers, and Christ consciousness. And these two guys got a hold of him And they said, hey, why don't you come back to the coffee shop with us? And his name was Lonnie Frisbee. He does look like Jesus, doesn't he? And Lonnie shared his encounter with Jesus that he had had. He was a nudist vegetarian who liked to go out into the desert. And one night he went out into the desert to seek Christ consciousness and Jesus spoke to him. Friends, the Lord will come to any of us, no matter where we are, strung out on drugs, broken. This guy is a mess and Jesus met him. And listen to what Jesus told him out in the desert. Jesus explained to me that he was the only way to know God. I accepted him right there. And Jesus said to me, I'm going to send you to the people. Then he gave me a vision of thousands of people. And they were wandering around in a maze of darkness with no direction or purpose. And Jesus showed me that there was a light on me and that he was placing that on my life. And I was going to bear the word of the Lord. The Lord came to him. Jesus is a pretty good evangelist. And he loves drugged out, broken people. He chose Lonnie Frisbee. They brought him into their community and helped him go through healing. Spent months with him. Jennifer would like this. Probably early Sozo, inner healing. And he opened up to them from day one and said, I've been sexually abused many times. Someone close to the family abused him sexually. He was a broken guy. But they began to draw him in. He went through inner healing. They got him immersed in the study of scripture. And they said he actually became pretty orthodox, (laughs) pretty uh, mainstream in his views. And what I want to do now is shift from the Bay Area, San Francisco. Lonnie continues to be one of the key threads in this story. So we're going to shift from Northern California and migrate down south to Southern California, a place called Costa Mesa. It's hard to believe this is how it works, isn't it? This is how God works. God takes a little Bible study of four couples and starts a fire. And that same fire ends up catching down in Costa Mesa inside Orange County. If you wanna put that next slide up there, another unlikely set of people, Chuck Smith and his wife Kay. You can see them there on the left. He became known as Papa Chuck. Father Chuck, he pastored a a little church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And they had a whopping 30 people at his church, 30. And he had 17 years of absolutely unfruitful ministry. And he was about to give up and he was sacking groceries and he said, Lord, I think I'm done. And the Lord said, no, not yet. And what ended up happening was Kay and Chuck would go to the beach at Laguna and pray for the young people. And Kay would weep and he would complain. He would say, get a haircut and get a job. (laughs) He would look around and just say that. And Kay said, Chuck. These are the people that Jesus wants to save. And she wore him down over a few weeks. And his heart began to tenderize toward these hippies. And before they knew it, one was at their house. A young guy named Lonnie Frisbee came from the Bay Area, ended up showing up at the Smith's house. And they said he looked like St. Francis of Assisi. By this time, he was wearing these long robe-like shirts and he was the epitome of a flower child. And what they said was they just immediately loved him. The presence of God, he had been mentored, disciple. he was full of scripture, he loved Jesus. And over a few short weeks, Chuck and Lonnie began to work together. And Lonnie was a magnet. Everywhere he went, he drew people because he couldn't keep his mouth shut. He was constantly, any free time he had, Lonnie was out on the streets, sharing the gospel, praying for people, doing what the book of Acts said. And Chuck loved him. Chuck, I don't think really knew what was about to break out in his church of 30, but nonetheless, it began to happen there at this little church. hippies began to show up at their nice little Costa Mesa church and they had new carpet and new pews And for their 30 people and these hippies began to come in by the droves. One runaway girl that Lonnie had connected with named Charisse brought over 50 people to the church in three weeks. And they had 65 conversions in one week. And so their nice little Calvary Chapel began to grow. And at one point, Chuck came in and someone had put a note up as, at the entrance of the church and said, Please no bare feet on the carpet. And Chuck went and ripped the note down off that door and met with a board immediately. And he said, Friends, let's rip up the carpet. If we have to rip up the carpet and take the pews out, we're going to. And the whole elder board said yes. And they acknowledged what God was doing in that moment. And I think it was emblematic of his heart that the Lord was bringing these people from the highways and byways. And the story's unreal. We don't have time. Again, I just want to pique your interest a little bit. But they had that one summer, they had over 500 young people saved. in one summer, the first summer that Lonnie was there, including members of the, the famous Diablos motorcycle gang in Los Angeles. It was unreal. A guy named Ken Gullickson. I know this is several names, but this is important. Again, this is our history. This is vineyard history. This is empowered evangelicals history here. Lonnie made friends with a guy named Ken Gullickson, and they were going to local high schools there in the Costa Mesa in Orange County and leading Bible studies. And dozens and dozens and dozens of students were coming to Christ. And one girl commented that she used to go to this certain field near near the school to smoke weed, to get high with her friends, and she said overnight within a few days, the field was full of young people with their Bibles reading and praying. God was on the move sovereignly. It wasn't a program. It wasn't because Lonnie was slick. It wasn't because Chuck and Kay Smith had a plan. It's because God moved. And God said, I want these young people. I'm going to move in this generation. I want to seek and save them. Church, will you get in on it? I feel like the Lord is saying the same thing to us. Will we get in on what he has planned in the coming days? By mid-1970, in just a few short years, that little Costa Mesa church exploded to 1500. So they went from 30 to 60 to 1500 and Chuck Smith was not about numbers at all. People would ask him, what is going on? How many are coming? He'd say, I don't know. God's doing something. And we're willing to do whatever it takes. One night, Lonnie, Frisbee, and some others were at the altar praying. A group of 15 of them. And I'm going to let you hear this later. But K. Smith, this is something I learned I had not known before in my research this, this week. Kay Smith, Chuck's wife, gave a prophetic word to Lonnie and these 15 young people. And she said, because of your praise and adoration and obedience, I'm going to bless the whole West Coast through you. And Lonnie and his friends, 15 here, began to weep and have visions of what God was going to do on the West Coast and all over the world. At this point, monthly baptisms were happening along a rocky shore at Newport Beach. Usually four or five hundred per month, friends. Look at that. Just take that in for a moment. Four to five hundred young people baptized in the ocean there, not far from the church. An area called Pirate's Cove, Corona Del Mar. And sometimes over a thousand So by the summer of 1970 this move of God had brought in literally tens of thousands and began to spread all over the West Coast. Just like Kay Smith prophesied. And there were about a hundred different Jesus people groups that were radiating out of this one little nobody church because they said yes to the Lord. I want to look briefly here at the Ramifications and ripple effects. And in a moment, we're going to end with with this in just a few minutes. We're going to watch just a few minutes from this baptism because I want you to see it. A few of the characteristics of what was going on here. Do you feel like you're getting an, an idea of this Jesus people movement in the 60s and 70s? It was a move of God. And one of the chief characteristics was it was biblical. The Lord took strung out hippies, most of them totally unchurched, and gave them the word of God. And they devoured it. And what's interesting is they lived it. They didn't just study it, but they sought to live it. And they wanted to be like Jesus. And someone like Pastor Chuck Smith, in the middle of this revival, you know what he did? He taught the Bible verse by verse. He brought the scriptures, the ordinary teaching of the Bible, day in, day out, and the young people loved it. That was one of the chief characteristics of this move of God, biblical, scriptural. A second thing was it was eschatological. That's a big word, Brock. What is that? just has to do with the end times. I mentioned that at the beginning. Books like Hal Lindsay's, Late Great Planet Earth, other books about could this be an hour that Christ could come back and the people were gripped with this. Israel had been reborn in 1948 and so this generation was buzzing with expectancy. A third feature is the move of God among the Jesus people was charismatic. They were into reading the scriptures and practicing them and so they read They watched the life of Jesus. They read in Paul that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were to operate in the church, that everyone would get to contribute, that the Lord could speak and act and move through anyone at any time. And so they were charismatic people. They believed in the charisms, the gifts, the graces of God operating. And finally, a fourth characteristic here, before we look at the ripple effects and watch that video is they were in a community. The Jesus people showed the church how to do communal life, how to not be separated, individualized, but how to live together. How to do Acts 2.42, to meet in homes, to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. And I want us to end with this last section. What are some of the implications of this? The ramifications. One is John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. In 1974, there was a young guy who was a Jesus freak. Like many of them, his name was Ken Gullickson. I mentioned his name earlier. He was part of Calvary Chapel, and Chuck Smith and others sent him out to West Los Angeles to start a church. And in his church, there's a mix of ordinary, unknown people and then some pretty prominent people. That's the church where Bob Dylan actually had an encounter with Jesus and became a member for a while. In 1974, from that little church in 74 and 75, the, the Vineyard was born. The Lord spoke to Ken and his wife and said, I want you to call this movement The Vineyard. Showed him in the scriptures. Isaiah 25 and John 15, where the Lord views his people as a vineyard that he cares for. Within a few short years, this gentleman, Ken, connected with a guy named John Wimber, who had been pastoring another Calvary Chapel church. They became good friends. Make a long story short, they ended up becoming such good friends that Ken acknowledged God was doing something with John Wimber, and he said, I think you're supposed to lead this little cluster of seven or eight churches. Are you willing? So John ended up leaving Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda and started the Anaheim Vineyard in 1982, became the flagship church. Fast forward 2020, there's now 2,400 vineyards worldwide. In 95 countries, 800 in the United States, and it's known as one of the the main movements born out of the Jesus people that plants churches and practices kingdom theology. So, why are we spending time looking at this? I hope it makes your heart ache. I hope that it quickens something in you that you can't shake. Lord, do it again. Lord, life is short. We want to do the faithful each day, each week. We want to be persistent and disciplined, and we give ourselves to all those things. But would you bring breakthrough? Just like Jesus prayed in Matthew 6, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come. And that's what happened. The Jesus People movement was a moment in the United States with the least likely people, the least likely generation, in the least likely place, and the kingdom broke through. And it changed their lives. It wasn't flash in the pan. Many of these people went on to plant churches and start Christian businesses and serve Jesus in powerful ways. So I think there's no better way to end this. I wanna show you just a few minute video here if we can drop the lights. And I wanna set it up, first of all, by saying thank you, Jake. He helped me put this video together because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So he said, Dad, this is easy. A few swipes, he helped edit it, put it together. And I said, bless you, son. Maybe that'll make money someday and you can take care of your old man. (laughs) But just this this video here, if we can cue that up. Wait, pause it, pause it, not yet. Pause it. So that you know what's going on here. This is Corona Del Mar, the Costa Mesa Calvary Chapel. And this is just a little window into what God was doing. and. They captured on eight millimeter, one of their baptismal services. And so you're gonna see dozens and dozens and hundreds of young people going to this Newport Beach area because this is what they did every month. And you're gonna see Pastor Chuck there. He's the bald guy that looks like a grocer. He's doing a lot of the baptisms. And then Lonnie, the little skinny guy that looks like Jesus. And then there are quite a few other lay leaders they have doing the baptisms. And this word is actually Lonnie Frisbee recounting in 1980 the word that Kay Smith had given about revival. So we'll hear that for a few minutes and then we'll segue into the baptism. All right.